You're listening to Not Your Normal Hockey Podcast, Episode 1. Along with asking me to launch a podcast, I am asked a lot of the same questions over and over again about me, my background in hockey, and especially how I got this job. So I thought it might be smart to kick off this podcast by telling you a little more about myself. So let's get to it. This is Not Your Normal Hockey Podcast with your host, Julie Robenheimer. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. In today's edition of True Stories, I will be answering your most commonly asked questions. So prepare yourselves because you're going to learn way more about me than you probably ever wanted to know. I'll tackle the top four questions first. Who are you? How did you become a fan of hockey? Why should I listen to you? And how did you get this job? And then I'll answer other questions that some of you asked on Instagram last week. I've shared bits and pieces of these stories during various interviews throughout the years, but never all in one spot and never in this much detail. So I hope you enjoy this edition of Storytime. First up, who are you? Hi, my name is Julie. I'm a self-improvement junkie who loves to travel, wear pretty dresses, eat big breakfasts, and watch all the sunsets. For more than a decade, I have been traveling across North America and Europe to watch hockey games and write about players, coaches, and management for NHL teams like the New Jersey Devils, Detroit Red Wings, Edmonton Oilers, and Vancouver Canucks, to name a few, as well as various media outlets like Elite Prospects, The Athletic, ESPN, and The New York Times. I also have two cats, Jack and Jill, and I live out of a suitcase, but I call New Jersey home. There are other things, like that I love to read and knit, not at the same time. Anything else you want to know, check my Insta stories because I share just about everything there. Also, I feel like I just filled out an online dating profile. So let's move on to the next question. (laughs) How did you become a fan of hockey? The short answer is that my parents raised me right. The long answer is my mom grew up in Philadelphia and celebrated the Flyer Stanley Cup wins on Broad Street in 74 and 75 like an absolute champ. My dad grew up in Connecticut, and he was a big-time Bruins fan. On one of their first dates, my mom got tickets to Ovations, the VIP club at the Spectrum, for a Flyers-Bruins game during the conference final, and invited my dad to join her. When the Bruins scored and my dad cheered, she was mortified as the entire restaurant stared at them. To add a little bit more context, the Flyers were on the verge of being swept. And she said, Robenheimer, get your coat. We are leaving. But that's also when she said that she knew she loved him because she didn't want to dump him. They were engaged in May. They got married in December and officially became Flyers season ticket holders. Three years later, I came along and I joke that if the Flyers weren't playing in Winnipeg that night, I would have been born at the Spectrum. Although, I am not sure how much of a joke that really might be. You see, it was my mom who taught me to love hockey. So many people think that it's my dad, but it was 100% my mother. She knew everything about the game, and I swear, anytime I'd tell her that I had to go to the bathroom in the middle of a game, she'd tell me to hold it because they were about to score. And when they inevitably did, I'd wonder in awe all the way to the bathroom because how did she know that? Seriously, how? It was bananas. We never missed a game. And when the Flyers made the playoffs, we had our own unique way of celebrating that I'm not sure is possible in today's world. But my dad owned a frame shop. This was before ready-made frames were available and you had to go to an actual store to frame pictures and art and diplomas and things like that. 
But a couple stores down was a printer. Again, this was before places like Staples or FedEx Kinko's existed. And I am really dating myself here. But in case you didn't know it, I'm an old fart. Anyway, the owner of the print shop would save all the hole punches from his binding orders. And my dad would fill up these huge bags of hole punches and we'd bring them to the games with us. Anytime the flyer scored, everyone around us would reach into the bag, grab a handful, and toss it like confetti. I think there's even a picture of me passed out in my seat covered in confetti after sleeping through the third period one time. I'll see if I can find that and post it for you. But we didn't do this every game. Just a little something special for the playoffs. But even when the team was on the road, my parents supported our collective love for the game. We didn't have cable at the time, and therefore watching road games required a trip to our local sports bar. I totally felt like Norm at Cheers in that place. We were there so often that they would put our appetizers in before we even sat down at the table. One time, it was just me and my mom in the bar area of the restaurant where the TVs were, and this guy walked in, he sat down at the bar, and he asked to watch the basketball game. Again, I'm an old fart. This was before you could have different channels on different TVs, and everyone had to watch the same thing. The bartender told him that I was watching the hockey game and he turned around and he saw me sitting there eating my chicken fingers and fries, swinging my little legs under my seat and told the bartender that he didn't care. So the bartender changed the channel and I immediately stood up and yelled, hey, I was watching that. The bartender looked at the guy who then said, oh, I guess you're right. (laughs) She can watch the hockey game. The bottom line is don't mess with my hockey. We had season tickets until I was in fourth grade. The rule was that I couldn't go to the game unless my homework was done. And sometimes I'd lie and I'd say that it was when it wasn't. And normally I would just finish it on the bus to school the next morning. But fourth grade is when homework got a little more involved and I got caught one too many times with incomplete homework. So ixnay on the tickets a. The good news is that's right about the time we got cable and I had the opportunity to watch games that didn't involve the Flyers and it was like opening this whole new world of possibilities where I could watch hockey every single night. I was in heaven. I had just as much fun watching the Red Wings play the Blues as I did watching any game involving the Flyers. I literally asked to watch hockey every night. So thank you ESPN and NHL Tonight for helping me fall in love with hockey. When I was in seventh grade, there was a group of boys sitting in front of me and they were talking about the Flyers. And I, of course, had to chime in with my two cents. And in typical boys are mean fashion, I was quickly told to shut up and informed that I was stupid. I told them that they were the ones being stupid. One of them, who I will not publicly out here, but he knows exactly who he is if he happens to be listening, He said, I bet you can't name more than five players. Well, he had no idea what to do as I rattled off the entire team line by line. I still wasn't allowed to be part of the conversation, you know, because I had cooties. That night, there was this incredible game that went into overtime. I think it was St. Louis and Detroit. It was definitely Detroit and somebody, but... I was so excited to hear what the boys thought about it in school the next morning because it was just such a great game. When I asked them if they saw it, the super mean boy turned to the others and said, See, I told you she was stupid. The Flyers didn't even play last night. I was so in awe of his stupidity that I knew I would be wasting my breath trying to explain it to him. But that's also when I knew that I loved hockey 
and not just one team, and that there was a big difference between being a hockey fan and a Flyers fan, and the rest is history. Or actually, the rest will be answered in the next question, which is, what are your qualifications? Well, when I was in high school and I started thinking about what I wanted to study in college and ultimately do for the rest of my life, a teacher told me that I should find something I loved and figure out how to get paid to do that. I took her advice to heart because I loved watching hockey and I was already considering what job I could do that would allow me to do that every single day. The more I thought about it, the more I wanted to be like Steve Coates, who was the color analyst for the Philadelphia Flyers. I was always very opinionated. I'm sure you're shocked by this. And I loved sharing those opinions, also a big shocker, and debating their merits while also exploring other people's opinions and points of view as well. If I could do something like that and share my opinions about hockey and tell behind-the-scenes stories about the players, I'd think it was the best job ever. As I went through my high school writing courses, I discovered that I was pretty good at it, and it didn't take long for me to decide that I wanted to be a hockey reporter. But in true Julie fashion, I didn't just want to be a normal reporter and cover a beat. I only wanted to write features. I wanted to tell stories about the players that shared more than how they could help a team win games, because all that was out there at this point were game stories and the occasional this isn't working, and this is how they can fix it type of column. I wanted to write about their personalities, personal interests, and community involvement. These are all things that I wanted to know about these athletes, and I figured I couldn't be the only one. At the time, the internet was mostly used for research and email, and not the dissemination of news. Again, I'm an old fart. And while blogs were a thing, they were personal blogs and used more to share photos from your vacations and let your family know what you were up to. There's no such thing as creating content, and social media didn't even exist yet. So what I wanted to do was completely unorthodox at the time. The only media company doing anything like it was ESPN, who would regularly devote time in their magazine-style programs to show features that dove a little deeper into the backgrounds and personal interests of the movers and shakers of the sporting world that helped you be as big a fan of the person as you were of the player or coach or manager. And that is exactly what I wanted to do with my life, share those stories. So I went to the University of Massachusetts. I studied journalism and sports management. Both fields of study were ranked in the top 10 nationally. They had a Division I hockey team and was close enough that I could go home for the weekend, but far enough away that my mom wouldn't come up for dinner all the time. My freshman year, I wrote features for the Daily Collegian, our student newspaper, and the Maroon and White, which was a monthly magazine about the athletics department. And my sophomore year, I started working specifically with the hockey team. I traveled with the team and helped our sports information director write post-game press releases and arrange player interviews with the local media, in addition to doing the features for the athletic department. In the summer, I interned at Comcast Sportsnet, which is now NBC Sports Philadelphia, which was actually a ton of fun. Their offices and studios are located inside what is now Wells Fargo Center, and I gave tours of the building during the day. Besides the size of the room, did you know the biggest difference between a hockey locker room and a basketball locker room is the height of the shower heads? They're seven feet high in a hockey locker room and eight feet high in a basketball locker room, or at least they were 15 years ago. So I had all sorts of fun facts in my head, but when I was done with the tours, I'd go right to the office and start preparing storylines and researching facts and crunching stats for the first live show of the day at 4 p.m. 
This is also where I learned to edit video. If they couldn't find me, I was probably in an editing bay trying to learn whatever I could from the guy who made all the sick pregame montages because that stuff was my jam. This is also when I realized that working on camera, which was my goal up until this point, might not be for me because I learned the ugly secret that someone else wrote their scripts and that the broadcasters were merely talking heads reiterating someone else's genius. If words were going to be coming out of my mouth, I wanted them to be mine. And at the time, that is just not how it worked. There were no analysts to break down plays and there were no panel discussions where people could share their opinions. It was all just news. This happened in this game and this is what the coach or the player had to say after it. That was it. So I dove deeper and deeper into the world of sports writing, especially features. And when I took a class specifically to learn how to write features and I had my first one-on-one meeting with my professor who also taught my journalism 101 class, she asked me how writing features could help me get my dream job. And I told her that writing features was my dream job. And she straight up laughed at me. <laughs> and she informed me that I had to cover a beat in order to have the opportunity to write features. And I was just like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to write features. Looking back on it, she had every right to laugh at me because I was completely out of my mind. Remember, I'm an old fart, and this is when the only way to consume written information was to read newspapers or magazines. There simply wasn't enough space to have features. The internet only stored archived content. It wasn't where you'd go to get your news. I was living in a world that wouldn't exist for at least another five years and wouldn't be an actual thing for another ten. And now here we are in a world where features reign supreme and everything is online. Way ahead of my time. Anyway, she was an excellent teacher and I owe my current writing skills to her. So shout out to BJ Roach at the University of Massachusetts. And while I'm at it, let's say hello to Sister Gilmary at Holy Cross High School who taught my literature and composition class and ultimately set me on this path as a writer. So in addition to the thousands of hours I have spent watching and analyzing hockey and learning the nuances of the game from various coaches, players, and executives, I also have a piece of paper hanging on my wall that says I know how to put words together in a coherent way for public consumption. Which leads me to the question I am asked most often. How did you get this job? The short answer is that I decided it's what I wanted, pursued it relentlessly, worked really hard, sacrificed a lot, and I simply never gave up. The even shorter answer is that I was lucky. But as the saying goes, luck is preparation meeting opportunity. I was so laser focused on my career path that I always maxed out my credits and I ended up graduating college a semester early. I went to work for a baseball team because it was the only sport out of season and therefore the only sport that was hiring. I loved just about everything about that job, including the fact that it came with a dog who would sit next to me and put his head on my lap while I was working at my desk. It was amazing. The only thing I didn't like was that it wasn't hockey. That was also the first year that I competed for Miss New Jersey, which is an entirely different episode for an entirely different podcast. But the short version is that my mom always thought that I could be Miss America, and she bugged the crap out of me until I said I'd compete for Miss Burlington County. I won it April 6th, and I went to Miss New Jersey eight weeks later. I prepared as best as I could while working 60 hours a week at a ballpark, and I was fortunate enough to make the top 10. Afterward, I decided that my mom was right, as she usually is, because I would make a great Miss New Jersey and possibly even Miss America, but I couldn't give it everything I had while working in sports. 
the time commitment for both was just way too much and I'd burn myself out. I almost did it in eight weeks. So I knew if I tried to do it for a year, it would be bananas. So I decided that I had my whole life to work in sports, but only right now, because there was an age limit, to go after Miss New Jersey. On my third and final try, the judges smartened up and got it right and chose me to be Miss New Jersey. I was so very honored to wear the crown and do that job for a year and compete at Miss America. Like I said, another episode for another podcast, but I learned so much about myself and about life that year that I will be forever grateful for the opportunity. So now that I'm back to reality, how did I get into covering hockey? Well, I went on vacation by myself. I was getting over a bad breakup. And I ran into these guys who were all somehow connected through hockey. That's actually how we started talking. There was a UMass sticker on my car, and one of them asked if I went there. And I said yes, and he said that he had been there. And then further in the conversation, he said that he had actually played hockey against them. And the next thing you know, we're talking about how the Buffalo Sabres absolutely imploded in the Eastern Conference Finals. And they are the ones that told me about a website called Hockey Buzz. So after I got home, I decided to check out this website. There was an article that I didn't agree with, and I sent the guy an email stating my case, and he responded, and we traded emails for a little over a week before he asked if I had any interest in writing for the site. I responded with a very firm no. Every writer on the site covered a team, and if you recall, I wanted no part of a beat. I only wanted to write features. We continued to debate opinions over emails, and he kept telling me how well thought out my arguments were, and how passionate I was for the game, and how much he loved reading my emails, and asked if I would just meet with the owner of the site for lunch and hear him out, because, quote, they needed a voice like mine on the site. After a month of this back and forth, I finally agreed to have a meeting, and while I went into it fully prepared to say, thanks for lunch, but the answer is still no, I'm so glad I did because they offered me the opportunity to write about whoever and whatever I wanted to. I didn't have to cover one team. I had the entire NHL at my disposal. My dream job was pounding on my door, begging me to open it, and I was stubborn enough to ignore it for an entire month. I have never felt more excited and more like an idiot at the same time than I did during that ride home. I was so pumped. It didn't pay a lot. In fact, it paid very little, but I would get to do something I absolutely loved, and I couldn't wait to get started. The first player I interviewed was Andy Green, who is now the captain of the New Jersey Devils during a Flyers-Devils preseason game. And while I was nervous, I walked away so excited to use the quotes that I got, but also because I felt like I was born to do this. I needed to dial it in and do whatever I possibly could to get better and make sure that this was my job for the rest of my life because getting paid to watch hockey and interview players and share their perspectives was living the absolute dream. The next season, I would start traveling pretty much anywhere I could reasonably drive to because I didn't have a travel budget. I saw a lot of Pittsburgh, Washington, and Boston that year. I also started watching a lot more college hockey that season. I would drop little nuggets, mostly about UMass, because Jonathan Quick was a superstar, and I love my Minutemen. And people would email me and ask questions about this player or that program, and I didn't really have answers for them, but they clearly had a need and a desire to want to know more information, and I thought it was an area that I could help fill. I would call up a scout or a coach, but rather than regurgitate their information, I decided that I wanted to see these guys with my own eyes and share my own opinions. And that is why I started traveling more. 
I hopped on that $20 Greyhound bus to Boston and stayed with my cousin who lived in the city at least once a month, and I strategically planned it so that I could see a lot of the non-conference teams from the West that would come to play BC and BU. Again, I was willing to do whatever it took to differentiate myself from other writers and provide content and perspectives that were unique to me. Those first couple of years were very difficult, especially as a woman navigating a traditionally male world. There were many nights when I'd be the only woman in the press box and arena staff would ask which player I was dating and direct me to the family lounge. This is right around when I started thinking about working on camera again, but I hated being the pretty blonde girl. This was magnified by the onslaught of female rinkside reporters who couldn't tell you the difference between a forecheck and a backcheck and simply smiled and asked the questions. And I wanted to be more than just the girl who asked the questions. I knew my stuff. And I wanted people to take me seriously and not think that I was some token blonde who didn't know anything. So I hid behind my writing and worked really hard to provide content that was insightful and interesting so that my work ethic, knowledge, and abilities couldn't be questioned. There are a couple moments in the first few years of my career that were particularly validating that I'll share with you. The first was at the NHL Prospect Tournament in Traverse City, Michigan. Again, with my limited travel budget that was all out of pocket, Going to see eight teams at once was major bang for my buck. Now, this was 10 years ago when most teams didn't even participate in things like this. I think there was this one in Traverse City, and I think there were four teams getting together somewhere in southern Ontario. And maybe teams would pair up, like the Flyers would go to Washington for a rookie game one year, and then they'd go to Philly the next. But this was a big deal for me because I was spending money on a flight and a rental car and a hotel for an entire week, something I never did before. So this was a big financial investment for me. It was also a bit of a mess because most beat writers didn't come to these events and therefore neither did any of the PR managers. Things are clearly very different now, but back then it was Craig Custance, who I think was working at the Sporting News at the time. I don't think he was at ESPN, but he might have been. But he's now with The Athletic. And Mike Morial from NHL.com. And me. Talk about feeling out of my league. Like, so far way out of my league. But to their credit, as quality humans, they were incredibly helpful and gave me a lot of pro tips. Especially how to hang outside locker room doors and ask equipment managers if so-and-so is still in there because I had no idea what many of these guys looked like to be able to stop them when they came out. I felt like I needed to make a sign like the chauffeurs at the airport and write their name on it and hope that they'd see it and stop to talk to me. Needless to say, my first year there was beyond stressful. But during one of the games, I happened to sit next to this guy and we started chatting after a whistle. And at intermission, he properly introduced himself and told me that he was a scout. I shook his hand and told him my name. And he goes, wait a minute, you're Julie? And I'm like, yes, is that a good thing? And he goes on to tell me that he reads my stuff all the time. And what a great job I do. And no wonder I knew so much about the players. And all I can think about is that a scout is reading my stuff. As if I didn't already feel pressure to write great features, a freaking scout was reading my stuff. So I better make damn sure it's worth his time. I haven't told them I'm sharing this story, so for now, we'll leave his name out of it because scouts are very secretive. But he's awesome and someone I consider to be a great friend in this business. The next story is similar. I have been very fortunate as a female sports writer that I rarely receive any kind of hate mail, but there was this one morning where someone sent me an email from an anonymous address, which I didn't even know was possible, and he told me how bad I was at my job. It stung a lot, and I spent 
way too much time that day considering the validity of this keyboard warrior statements. But that same afternoon, I got another email, this time from someone who worked for a team. He's an assistant general manager now, but back then, I think he was the director of player development or maybe player personnel. I'd have to check, but either way, he worked for a team. And seeing that official email address pop up with player X feature as the subject, the same feature Keyboard Warrior thought was horrendous, made me hold my breath and close one eye while I clicked it open. To my surprise, he was writing to tell me what a great feature it was and how much he enjoyed reading it and thanked me for sharing stories like this about one of their prospects. And again, I was like, holy crud, a member of team management reads my stuff and thinks it's good. What kind of alternate planet am I living on? Because this is not real life. It blew my mind yet again and forced me to reevaluate my standards one more time because if team executives are going to read my stuff, it better be fantastic. The third story still makes me laugh. It was early in the season, October, November, and I was on my way to Michigan, and I tweeted about how excited I was to finally see Yoast Ice Arena at the University of Michigan in person because it's like the cathedral of college hockey. And I'm not even kidding. It looks like a church without a steeple. That building is beautiful. So I got a lot of replies, people excited to see what, who I was going to talk to or what I was going to see. And one of the replies came from TSN Bob McKenzie, who agreed with me and told me to have a great time. And I'm like, okay, fake Bob McKenzie. This was the early years of Twitter. And during the trade deadline, just a few months before, there was a fake Bob McKenzie account tweeting some serious fake news. And Bob said on TSN's deadline show that he didn't have a Twitter and would never get Twitter because he thought the whole concept of it was silly. So this TSN Bob McKenzie account couldn't possibly be real. So I did what any reasonable person would do. I ignored it. It wasn't until I was telling someone else later that night that I learned not only was the account real, again, before we had blue check marks, but that Bob followed me. I couldn't believe it. I still don't believe it. But again, it drove home the point that I needed to continue to dig up interesting stories because I've got people like Bob McKenzie reading my stuff. Over the past decade, I'm actually going into my 13th year covering hockey, but we'll round it to a decade. I've had several stories like these happen, and it floors me every single time. One time, I had a GM tap me on the shoulder and introduce himself at the World Championship because he followed me on Twitter and felt like we were friends already. Like, what? This is crazy, Bands. But it's also what gave me the courage to leave Hockey Buzz five years ago and give myself a little bit of a raise by working as a freelancer. That's when I started covering prospects for NHL teams and contributed to ESPN and the New York Times and The Athletic and now Elite Prospects at EP Rinkside. So that's the long version of how I got my job. There were definitely some tough times when I doubted my abilities and when I thought I might not be able to make it work financially, and I still have those thoughts some days. But the bottom line is I get to spend every day doing something I absolutely love, and I am so glad that I persevered and pushed through and even now, just like all the players, I continue to strive to be better every day. I want to give you guys amazing content and share stories that you haven't heard before. Because just like I don't want to waste NHL scouts and executives and Bob McKenzie's time, I don't want to waste yours either. I want you to read one of my articles or listen to a podcast or watch an interview and feel like I've either educated, inspired, or entertained you. That is my goal every single day. Now for some other questions that you guys sent in through Instagram. What keeps you motivated? Well, like I just said, you do. 
there's a lot of content out there now. And if you're going to spend your time reading mine, I want it to be worth it. You could be reading or listening to or watching so many other things. And I feel honored that you're reading, watching, or listening to mine. So thank you for helping to push me to be my best. Now, this is another super common question. I know I want to work in hockey, but I don't know a specific career path. Do you have any advice? Well, I have lots of advice. And I'm even working on a section of my website that will share a lot of it because so many people helped me get started and are still helping me that I want to pay it forward. Generally, I'll tell you what my teacher told me. Figure out something you love to do every day and find a way to get paid to do it. If you're still stuck, try the sales department. The turnover in the ticket offices is outrageous and they always seem to be hiring. If you have more specific questions, I am always happy to help. Just send me a DM or an email or check my site, juliegrobenheimer.com, to see if the answer is already there. What's it like always traveling for your job? Well, I love to travel and explore new places and see new things, and I enjoy it so much. Um, So I'm a big fan of traveling for my job. But there are definitely days that I do feel lonely because I do travel by myself. Although I always thought the idea of being lonely in a room full of people was silly. But now, even though I have a lot of colleagues and I know a lot of people when I travel, it can still be lonely sometimes. But most of the times, it's fabulous. As you might be able to tell by my Instagram, I love to travel. So I'm super excited that I can combine my love for travel and my love for hockey in a job that allows me to do both. What was the first game you ever went to? Well, I was just a baby, so I'd have to check the schedule. (laughs) But the first game after my parents ixnayed the season tickets is a pretty good story. We hadn't been to a game in years, but I was still religiously watching games and going to the sports bar to watch on the big screen and still as in love with hockey as ever. And when I was in high school, Santa got me tickets four rows off the glass. I was so happy and they were so unexpected that I legitimately cried, like bawling like a baby over these tickets. My grandmother totally thought I was nuts, but I I was, I was totally nuts. I was so excited. The game wasn't until February, though, so I had to wait, but it was totally worth it. It was the Flyers against the Canadians. I remember it so vividly, and it was the game that Mark Bureau elbowed Peter Svoboda, and I seriously thought he died because there was so much blood coming out of his head after it hit the ice. Again, pre-Twitter and maybe even pre-cell phone or like maybe right at the beginning of the cell phone age, but point is no one knew what was going on. You had to have a Walkman with a radio on it at the time to know what was going on. And before you laugh, that was 100% a thing back then because people liked to listen to the play-by-play during the game, even when they were there and even when there was a little bit of a delay because they told you things that Twitter tells you now, like various stats and injury updates. So it was totally a thing. Anyway, during the first intermission, the guys behind me were talking about the game. Once again, I didn't agree. And I turned around and I told them as much and I stated my case. They stared at me and then looked at my dad like, is this chick for real? And he was like, hey, don't look at me. She's the one that doesn't agree with you. Again, my dad wasn't the big hockey fan in the family. He enjoyed it very much, but it was my mom who knew the ins and outs and passed her love of the game on to me. So I ended up having a pretty good chat with these guys that continued throughout the game. And as it was going to overtime, tied it to The couple in front of us, who had joined in our debate-slash-conversation throughout the game, got up to leave, and I was like, are you kidding me? You're going to leave now? The guy goes, well, we're going to get a head start on traffic. And I, 
I couldn't find the words. I was flabbergasted. There were like six fights in this game, including a line brawl with the referee handing out misconducts like Halloween candy, and we're going into overtime, and you want to get a jump on traffic out of the parking lot? What is wrong with you? To his girlfriend's credit, she was begging him to stay, but he wasn't having it. I only hope they made it to their car in time to hear Eric Desjardins score the game winner on their radio instead of three rows off the glass. Moral of the story, never leave a game early. How long have you been reporting on hockey? Well, I mentioned it earlier, but in case you zoned out during that bit, this will be my 13th season. Did you ever play hockey? No, I never did, but I can skate pretty well, at least going forwards. I'm still working on going backwards at any sort of speed that's slightly above glacial. Uh, My cousins played. I loved going to their games and watching them, but I was a latchkey kid. My parents worked a lot um, having their own businesses, and I just never really had time for it. I mean, I barely had time for a ballet class, so definitely didn't have time for hockey, but obviously did not hinder my love for the game. Who is your favorite goalie? Before I answer this... (laughs) This question was submitted by a current NHL goalie who no doubt would like me to say him. (laughs) But I'm going to go with my favorite goalie growing up, which was Ron Hextall. I loved how much he loved the game. His passion was simply infectious, and I just loved the way he played the game as well. So my favorite goalie was Ron Hextall. When was the first World Juniors you attended? 2011 in Buffalo. Russia came back in the third period to beat Canada, and they got absolutely hammered in the lobby. That was festive. Oh, I got another one for you, too, on that one. So a couple years ago, I think it was 2009, when the World Juniors was in Ottawa, I started covering World Juniors a little bit more, and I got an email from this kid from Sweden. He was probably know, 15 or six, 15, probably 15 at the time or 16. Either way, he was a teenager. And he was telling me that, um, you know, he stays up late to watch the games and he was hoping that um, one day he would be on Team Sweden. So we had kind of kept in touch during big like hockey events like the Stanley Cup playoffs or World Juniors and things like that. So as I'm sitting in my hotel room in Buffalo, I send him an email. I hadn't talked to him in a while. And I was like, hey, any chance you're, you know, watching the game? There's a big game. I don't even remember who it was, but Sweden was, was, it was going to be a big game in their bracket. And I was like, oh, it's going to be a big game. I think it was maybe even New Year's Eve. I don't remember, but it was a big game. And I sent him in this email and I said, hey, are you going to watch it? And he's like, are you at the tournament? And I I replied, yes. And now we're talking on like instant messenger or Facebook, I guess it was. And um, I said, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm here now to preface this. I was in Buffalo and Sweden was in Niagara at a different arena that took like an hour to get to by a shuttle. So I didn't really go to see Sweden. Um, I was too busy covering the United States and Canada at the arena in Buffalo. And he said, well, have you looked at the roster? And I'm like, no, should I? Turns out the kid is on the stinking team. My mind was blown. Absolutely stinking blown. So anyways, a fun little story of the first World Juniors that I ever attended. Oh, and his name, Johan Sundstrom. He was uh, drafted by the New York Islanders and uh, played in their AHL farm team um, in Bridgeport. 
uh, before he ultimately went over to uh, Sweden and he plays now for Frölunda and has actually won um, at least one SHL uh, championship with them. So fun little story for you. What is your favorite World Junior memory? Well, obviously that one was a good one, uh, but I've been to eight, so I have a lot of great memories. And if you toss in the summer evaluation camps, I have even more. The best memories are usually either of teams winning or of players demonstrating outstanding character. Like I loved watching Sweden beat Canada in Canada, one nothing in overtime in 2012. And Johan was actually on that team as well. So that kind of made it even sweeter to have this guy that I'd been talking to, you know, and saying I want to be on this team, win it was pretty amazing. I loved watching Finland win in Helsinki in 2016. I gained a ton of respect for Philip Forsberg after watching him answer every single question as Sweden's captain during wave after wave after wave of interviews after they lost the gold medal game on home ice to Finland in 2014. I loved Jacob Truba's face after USA beat Sweden for gold in 2013 in Russia. Actually, I love that entire tournament and the fabulous members of a Swedish TV crew that adopted me as one of their own and invited me to everything except their production meetings. But in regards to Truba, first, he was the only player that believed me when I said I'd be in Russia for the tournament. And I'm very proud to say that I was the only American reporter there. Actually, now that I think about it, that might not be entirely true because I think one or two came when they advanced to the semifinal. But I was the only one there for the entire tournament. Anyway, they lost two really close games against Russia and Canada in the preliminary round, and a lot of people counted them out. But Jacob was adamant in his interviews that this was a special group and that if they got the chance in the medal round, they'd get the job done. Before he left for the locker room, he turned to me and he said, I promise you, you did not come to Russia for nothing. We will make it worth your time. And when he walked into the mix zone holding that trophy with the gold medal around his neck a few days later, he saw me and he said, I told you. So that's a memory that's definitely near the top of my list as well. But my favorite World Junior moment happened in 2015 when the Canadian fans adopted Team Denmark, who had just come up from Division I. And they cheered them all the way to the quarterfinals until they unfortunately met up with Canada. But even in that loss, the Canadian fans were so proud of their team, but also so proud of Team Denmark and even making it to the quarterfinals because what a huge accomplishment for an elevator team. And then again this year when the Canadians adopted Team Kazakhstan, who also has just come up from Division One, and they sang Sweet Caroline for them all the way through the relegation round where they swept Denmark to stay in the top division. That right there is why I love this tournament so much. Yes, it's the future of the NHL, and there are so many great coaches and players and teams to root for and national pride, but it's the atmosphere and the fan experience that is unlike any other that makes it so special. Oh, and I also loved in 2015, after USA was eliminated, I think by Russia in the quarterfinal, if my memory serves me, Dylan Larkin was delayed coming out to the mix zone, so much so that by the time he came out, I was the only reporter left. But he was by far Team USA's best player in the tournament, and I couldn't not talk to him. So we did the interview, and before he left, he reached out to shake my hand and thanked me for all the coverage from summer camp and selection camp and everything at the tournament, adding that I did a really good job and that everyone appreciated it. Now, this wasn't the first time I had been thanked by a player for a story, but it was the first time coming from an 18-year-old after a devastating loss. Just another reason I think he deserves to be captain of the Detroit Red Wings sooner 
rather than later. Moving on. What is your favorite part of your job? Just this, sharing stories that other reporters don't have time or opportunity to share. I like finding fun details to write a story around and present you with something you haven't heard before or in a way you haven't heard before. How did you bridge from pageants to media and specifically hockey? Well, hopefully I did a good job earlier explaining that it's the other way around. I loved hockey, always did, and I wanted to be a sports writer and specifically a hockey writer. I've had opportunities to cover other sports, but that's not what fuels my engine. I enjoy other sports, but I love hockey. And although pageants definitely helped me improve my interview and public speaking skills, as well as my comfort level on camera, being Miss New Jersey and competing at Miss America was more of a detour than a launching pad for my current career path. What do you see yourself doing in four to eight years down the road? This is an excellent question, one I ask myself often, and one that you should ask yourself often as well, just to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to set myself up to be successful within those goals. But the ultimate answer is that I just want to continue to live the dream and be paid to travel around the world and watch hockey and share my opinions on the players. Whatever form that takes, as long as I'm doing that, I will be happy, and that's all that matters. Now, this podcast is way longer than I anticipated, and I didn't even get to tell you all my stories, but hopefully you learned a lot about me and why I do what I do. So thank you so much for listening to this edition of Not Your Normal Hockey Podcast. If you love the show and would like to have access to exclusive content like bonus podcasts and written features, head over to julierobenheimer.com and click the Patreon button, and don't forget to subscribe, like, and share so all your friends can listen in too. As always, stay humble and be awesome. Until next time. This is the end of today's episode. If you enjoyed the show and can't wait for the next one, be sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review the show to help more listeners find it. And go to julierobenheimer.com for more.